every company has a performance management system. Every CEO is held accountable to revenues, profit margins, but these are latent metrics. What organizations need to start focusing on is the leading metrics that get you there, right? So instead of having a specific target, why don't we have a metric? One of the metrics we've been working with companies is employee or ideas per employee, right? And that number should be above one so that we can have specific metrics that leads people towards being more inclusive, gathering ideas. I'm your host, Michelle King, joined by Kelly Thompson, and you're listening to The Fix, a podcast that shares the stories of remarkable people who are innovating and taking action to advance equality in the workplace and beyond. I never used to have an opinion on diversity recruitment targets or quotas. On the surface, it seemed to make sense that companies would set an aspirational target to increase the representation of traditionally underrepresented groups. However, after nearly 10 years of research, I've witnessed firsthand the damage that diversity quotas and targets create. Diversity is an outcome of workplaces that value difference. In my PhD research, I found that male respondents view diversity and inclusion initiatives as favoring women who were described as having every advantage. Consequently, women leaders were seen as tokens having advanced because of their gender, rather than their capability. These attributions reinforced a wide range of negative gender stereotypes, like the belief that women are not capable leaders or should be solely responsible for raising children. Look at your leadership team. Does everyone look and behave in the same way? If so, then your organization has a dominant standard for leaders, which represents an underlying culture of inequality. Often companies try to solve this problem by simply adding more women or minorities into existing leadership teams. In fact, many make public commitments to do so by setting ambitious diversity targets or recruitment quotas. These are just quick fixes that simply lead to short-term gains and long-term pain. As a culture and equality practitioner, I've worked with many organizations over the years, and every time the issue of targets comes up, Why am I so adverse to mandating the makeup of leadership teams? After all, setting targets for 30% representation of women across all levels of the organization seems at face value like a good way to address the white male prototype. If the makeup of leadership teams begin to look different, then surely that means the organization values difference? It's incredibly common to see business leaders make external corporate commitments like this, which often are not hard quotas, but rather aspirational targets. The aim is to achieve trickle-down effect by hiring other female leaders. The hope is they'll work to increase the representation of women, thereby magically transforming the culture. What could possibly go wrong? On today's episode, we're joined by Dr. Ted Sun, author, speaker, and expert in leadership, with two doctorate degrees, one in psychology and another in business. Dr. Ted will join us to unpack why diversity quotas are not the answer. Between 2015 and 2020, there was a 107% increase in the number of people employed with the head of diversity job title, according to LinkedIn data. This global hiring trend is set to continue as more businesses appreciate the fundamental importance, including to the bottom line, of having more diverse representation and inclusive cultures. 
The top three fastest growing roles in this space, according to a LinkedIn report, are Director of Diversity, Diversity Officer and Head of Diversity. 77% of all new DNI roles are either senior or director positions, with 22.8% of these roles in leadership positions, and only one in five are entry level. As an equality lawyer, it's great to see businesses appointing experts in the field of diversity and inclusion to help drive the change they want to see, particularly when those people have a seat and a real voice at the table, but relying on IND practitioners alone to change any organisation's culture is unlikely to work. Here, Dr. Ted shares more on this. The first thing with company quotas is that a lot of companies are playing this ugly game where they create you know, chief diversity officer, they create a specific quota number. To meet it, they create artificial positions that they add. It costs them 100,000, 500,000, whatever the range is for that position. And they stick somebody of that minority group in that quota system. Once they put them in there, they have very limited responsibility. They have almost no budget. Okay. For example, one of the major multi-million dollar companies here in Ohio created a chief diversity officer at just under $200,000 in salary. They gave her a $100,000 budget. As a chief executive at a $100,000 budget is a practical joke, right? But they created that position so the numbers can look right. Oh, look, now we have a female who's black, who's gay, whatever checkbox they want to create up there. And then now the rest of the employees, the morale gets destroyed. There's no accountability structure. So the statement about accountability and productivity gets destroyed once some of these quota games gets played. So that's the first level of peace, all right? The second side of it is when you get people in because of quotas, their ability to perform a task sometimes may not be the best option. So we're seeing a lot of HR professionals saying, well, I have to hire this minority group just to meet the quotas, but they're not qualified. They don't fit in the culture, right? Before all this entire movement, people were hiring Yes, there's an unconscious bias piece to it. People were making sure the skill set fit, but they were also making sure the person comes into the company, the team, have a cultural fit. The ways they think, the way they believe, whatever that is, there's a cultural fit aspect to this. Now, they're simply higher on one simple demographics, bringing that person in. Leaders drive culture and culture creates experiences of inequality. Interestingly, even if businesses and leaders don't always recognise this reality, the law does. Here in the UK, if a business is accused of an act of discrimination, the day-to-day -day reality of how that business operates becomes really important in deciding what happened. If the judge believes that there's a culture of inequality, they can infer that the particular act being complained about was discriminatory. So, for example, if a woman believes she wasn't promoted because she's pregnant, she might not be able to show evidence that someone said this to her directly. But if she can show that the business operates a boys club culture, promoting what Michelle calls the Don Draper model of leadership, she can ask the judge to assume her lack of promotion must have been sex discrimination. The burden then shifts to the business to prove that there was a different, non-discriminatory reason. So culture creates experiences of inequality and sometimes even of unlawful discrimination. This is why simply hiring diversity and inclusion leaders into your business doesn't itself guarantee that leaders will take ownership of the inequity and inequality that exists in their workplaces and work structures. Tackling inequality stops and starts with leaders and given it's a core business issue, it makes logical and indeed business sense for leaders to own this. 
the managers, the executives, do they have the skills to deal with this? Do they have the systems to deal with this, right? The more of the unconscious bias that never gets fixed, and this kind of gets a little bit back to the certification programs currently, all the unconscious bias is going to play a much bigger factor the more you add in here. But does the organizational process handle it? Can the leaders deal with this type of diversity? They're not dealing with the trainings, right? Sure, you can take a bunch of people, put them into a salad bowl and tell them to work together and go. Achieve this project, complete this task, whatever that is. But do they have the skills to work with it? Do they have the skills to be successful and collaborate? That's the key piece, regardless of the culture side, right? So there has to be a, a lot of work in the setup of organizations and teams in order for this to happen. So when we approach companies, we typically not try to fight them on these numbers, on these beliefs. They have that, okay? What we tend to do is go at a side process, so ask them, what kind of inclusive process do you have currently? How are you empowering people to be more inclusive? Eliminating unconscious bias. One of the biggest issues currently today in this entire movement is everybody's blaming somebody else, right? It's this group's fault. It's this group's fault. And the, and the more discrimination is happening, regardless of which group you're in. But it's all this blaming about people. But very few people truly understand what systemic racism and what is the system. How do we create a system that no matter whether you're black, white, yellow, purple, regardless of what you are, I can get ideas from you for these key issues, right? The key point in all of this movement is let me appreciate and understand the diversity of ideas that you offer as an individual, not as a specific group that I want to categorize you. Because the minute you get into a specific group, the minute it becomes a, another diversity issue, right? And then if we take another step, go even further beyond this, a lot of this and how unconscious bias works, the human brain gets so much information shot at them, okay? Typically, we have right around like 11 million bits of data coming at you every single minute, okay? We only process a few thousand, okay? So the human brain, the way we operate is we take an enormous amount of data from our body, from our nose, eyes, ears, and so forth coming at us. And our brain, what it does is does data reduction right off the bat. Right? We only process two, 3,000. So it's a brain function that creates what people are labeling as unconscious bias and try to fix it. So instead of blaming people on how they see other human beings, why don't we work on the neural side of this? Look at the neural science and how do we get people to open up and say, okay, you're a human being in front of me. What ideas can you offer me? What value can you bring to my company, my team, and what value could I give to you? That's the bigger question at the leadership development role to perceive reality in a different way and to think through things as opposed to put a whole bunch of band-aids and behaviors onto you. In my research, I've discovered a range of negative outcomes associated with implementing diversity targets or quotas. For example, women who were hired into roles earmarked for diverse candidates were seen as token hires. They weren't perceived to be the most qualified or experienced pick for the role. Male employees at these organizations saw this as a form of discrimination and marginalization, which further increased their resistance to diversity efforts. It also further reinforced their belief that women are not as competent as men because women need this special treatment to get ahead. Women also questioned the legitimacy of their female colleagues and in turn themselves, which increased pressure to perform at an even higher standard than they already were. Naturally, women in the study were frustrated that being appointed to a leadership role was yet another hurdle they had to overcome. 
Sadly, women leaders felt insecure and isolated and began to question their legitimacy. While the number of women represented increased, this success was short-lived as these women leaders left because the underlying culture was toxic and they were often replaced with men. None of these efforts solved the underlying issue of inequality. In fact, it made things worse because these targets and diversity appointments gave employees and companies a false sense that equality and equity had been achieved. Despite advancing, women on the receiving end of these aspirational targets reported feeling excluded, marginalized, and lacking the support needed to lead. The truth is you can't put a number on equality because it's something that employees experience and practice. It's not an outcome to be achieved. Rather, it's a fundamental way of working. Reaching an arbitrary target does nothing to ensure that women and men will be valued in the same way. Believing it does is just another form of denial. You can have a company with a seemingly healthy 36% representation of any minority group and yet still have a workplace that marginalizes and discriminates against people. Leaders who advocate for targets are lazy. They want the outcome without doing any of the work needed to get there. They are driven by the need to measure their progress rather than managing the lived experience every day. Often this is expressed with statements like, what gets measured gets done. But who gets to decide what the ideal demographic mix of an organization should be? What is the acceptable number of women, men, LGBTQ, Black, Hispanic, Asian, Latina, and Native American employees? And why is this the measure of equality? If we're going to measure anything, it should be the cultures of inequality that create employees' lived experience of inequality and the leadership behaviors that give rise to those cultures. This is where inequality happens. Creating a corporation that supports equality is an ongoing job that belongs to everyone in an organization because everyone has a hand in creating the culture. To start, organizations should ditch their quotas and targets, which are the scoreboard and not the game. An equal representation of men and women in leadership roles is a natural outcome of organizational cultures that support equity, equality, diversity, inclusion, and belonging. If we're going to measure anything, let's measure the leadership behaviors that create these types of environments and only reward and support leaders who show up every day for inclusion. Every company has a performance management system. Every CEO is held accountable to revenues, profit margins, but these are latent metrics. What organizations need to start focusing on is the leading metrics that get you there, right? So instead of having a specific target, why don't we have a metric? One of the metrics we've been working with companies are is employee or ideas per employee, right? And that number should be above one so that we can have specific metrics that leads people towards being more inclusive, gathering ideas. So creating that right environment is definitely the key, but the systems underneath that, you know, what's the performance review system like? What's their learning system like? You know, I have conversations with companies about learning systems. Do you have a learning system in place? And most companies don't, right? At best, the HR will have some type of a training transcript. I'm like, a training transcript is the courses they've taken. Doesn't mean they remember it, they can apply it and and actual skills develop, right? Do you have a diversified talent inventory? Well, what do you mean by that? Um, Well, we shouldn't have this conversation in the first place, right? A talent inventory specifically understand what are the talent and skills and knowledge base of every single one of your employees. So when I have a new project, I can either say, hey, I have a project that's 
let me go pull the talent. What talents do I need? And then pull from that talent base. Now, having a system like that completely eliminates the gender, racial, whatever factor, because I'm simply looking at the talents that I need for a project, right? So there are ways to go about addressing some of these systemic issues using systems that eliminates completely of, oh, I, I know Jane Doe, who's really great at this, or I, I know this person, and all this social networking and politics eliminates that completely, right? So there's different approaches to taking care of these issues from an environment perspective, but there has to be systems underneath to facilitate all this, regardless of who's in charge. And the biggest point in a lot of this, regardless of who the CEO or the, who the leader is of a team, the systems needs to drive the outcomes, not individuals or people. The quick fix mentality is something that the Western society is very much of a mental illness. I even call it that. Everybody wants to take a pill to get rid of a headache as opposed to figure out why the headache is there. And this is a much larger picture. There's no quick fix. All these quick fixes are an ugly band-aid and sometimes makes things worse. Finally, Dr. Ted shares one action every leader can take to start or to refresh their journey in creating workplace cultures that truly value difference. I think the first way to heal whatever damage that's already been done is a self-awareness assessment. Okay? The self-awareness assessment applied to every single employee in the company as well as the company as a whole. Right? To get a good understanding of what is going on. How am I seeing reality in a correct way or an incorrect way? Right. So our values project is typically the first starting point when we work with a lot of companies to say, what are your core values? Who are you? And then we ask the question, who do you want to be as leaders? How do you want to design your company? Right. What kind of legacy do you want to leave? Or even beyond the legacy, what happens when you're not there? Right. Asking those kind of questions, get them to start thinking in a systemic level. So if I'm going to be, I have the quota, I have the egg on my face. Okay, great. What's the system that supports it to so that it's no longer egg? Now it's a scrambled egg with some a lot of nice things that I want to eat. It's no longer an egg on my face, right? And that creates the environment to start thinking systemically. How do I create a system that makes that egg on my face into a great meal? I think the one action that every single individual can take is the values piece. If you write down your top five values in order of priority, so put numbers to it, and then once you write it down and then you ask people around you, whether it's your coworkers, your boss, to see what their reflection of you is, you know, so go to them and say, what do you think my top five values are? And let them reflect on that. And then you have a much more meaningful conversation between people. So we strip away everything else out there about gender and race and so forth. And we get down to the core of that human spirituality. The sight into our soul is extremely important and crucial as a conversation piece. Once we have that conversation about values, we can start seeing people for human beings, as opposed to one specific box that they may or may not fit. I hope you all enjoyed today's episode. We covered so much content and research on an incredibly important topic. This week in the UK, the Financial Conduct Authority has announced new proposed board diversity targets from next year for many companies. These include a target of 40% women on the board with at least one senior board position to be held by a woman. So how can businesses use this kind of measure as an opportunity to make progress and avoid the pitfalls we've discussed today? In my work, I've seen targets rather than quotas play out usefully for some businesses who use them judiciously and mindfully. 
Like where a business or sector is at the start of a long journey and a target is used to help get diversity onto the board's agenda. Or where progress has stagnated and a target is used to give a jump start or renewed focus. But any diversity target can be neither the destination nor the map for the journey. Instead, the focus for business and leaders must be on the tangible daily actions, systems and practices which create and maintain cultures of equality. Get that right. And yes, any targets will be met, but that will really be tangential to the richer, sustainable change you've made along the way. With this in mind, I wanted to summarise five key steps that every leader can take to build a culture of inclusion at work based on what Dr. Ted and Michelle shared. If you're interested to learn more about Dr. Ted's actions, you can find them in the Medium article entitled Five Steps We Must Take to Truly Create an Inclusive, Representative and Equitable Society. The first step, as Dr. Ted mentioned, is knowing your core values and beliefs. This self-awareness is key. Take a few minutes to think about and write down your top five values as a leader. Step two is to manage your perceptions. Our beliefs about gender, race, nationality, culture, education and more besides are loaded with assumptions that are often false. So before making an important decision, take some time out to consider what stereotypes, biases and negative beliefs might be clouding your judgment. Step three, when hiring for difference, it's important to consider the lived experience that people have. Why would people from a certain minority want to go and work at an employer if they don't have anyone that looks like them, thinks like them, or even makes different choices? If an individual gets hired to meet a quota, how will you ensure the individual fits in? Step four, take a systems approach to building inclusion, especially when it comes to making decisions. For example, every organisation has meetings. You can systematise them so that every person at the meeting contributes to the agenda and is given room to share their thoughts on all agenda items at the meeting itself. And the final step five is to manage the inclusive behaviours of leaders. Performance management systems can be designed to guide human behaviour if timely feedback loops are present. This requires inclusive metrics, which companies should put in place for every leader if they're truly committed to cultural change. Before you go, we just want to let you know that we are going on leave for two whole weeks and we cannot wait to come back with more fresh content, interviews and hot takes on how to build a culture of equality at work. While we're away, just a reminder to check out the 100 Actions for Equality campaign, which provides you with 100 actions that you can take every day to create a more equal working world. Just visit www.100actionsforequality.com. Thank you so much for tuning into our episode today. If you're interested in partnering with us or being a guest on the show, then please reach out through our new fancy website, thefixpodcast.org. You can also sign up to our monthly newsletter and contribute your story there. 